Welcome to the Curiosity Key Podcast. I'm your host, Charlie Wyman, and I'm a B2B marketing strategist, LinkedIn specialist, and curious thinking advocate. I believe that curiosity is one of our biggest assets. If you want your marketing to be more effective and feel less like a chore, be more curious about who you're targeting, how you can help them, and what you can learn from them. This podcast aims to share stories from people who are keen to solve problems and change the way we do things by innovating and turning their ideas into reality. This week's episode is with the energetic email marketing duo, Rob and Kennedy. We talk about how two entertainers, a mind reader and a hypnotist, joined forces to develop some software to improve their own marketing, and then went on to turning that software into a product and joint venture company. Rob and Kennedy share lots of lessons learned and talk about the reality of developing and launching your own software tool. We also talk about the well-known challenge of trying to market to an audience that has different motivations, interests, and behaviors, and how to use segmentation and email marketing as a solution to that. Don't worry about taking notes as I've summarized all the key points from this interview in the show notes on my website. Just go to charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. And I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast, where I'm joined with Rob and Kennedy from the Email Marketing Show. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Charlie. Hello. So this is going to be interesting because I've never done a podcast with two other people on it. Um, so hopefully that this will all go swimmingly and uh, not collapse into a ball. But anyway, so you guys have a really interesting story. So I'm keen to get into that during the podcast because we've got a mind reader and a hypnotist that started a tech company, right? Right, yes. Sounds like a terrible start to a joke, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Mind reader and hypnotist walk into a tech company and go, what are we doing here? (laughs) That's kind of what happened. So how did that come about? Like, like, tell that story. Really keen to know. Okay, Rob. So, yeah, so as you said, our background is a little bit weird. So for the past like 18 years at this point, I think we've pretty much 17, 18 years, we've both been entertainers, full-time entertainers. Literally, uh, I left school, started doing it. Kennedy left university, started doing it, or did it at university, I think. And basically have been, I guess, really lucky in that we've got to travel all over the place and do these shows. I perform a comedy hypnosis show. Kennedy does a comedy mind-reading show using psychology and body language and reading people and all of that stuff and so we're both independently doing that not together we've done one show together in our entire lives in a uh, social club in a social club in the (laughs) northeast of england for a charity do Uh, but the rest of the time we've traveled all over the place separately and when you travel you, you get loads of time on your own and you know you're sat in airports and on, on and on planes and in hotels and everybody thinks oh it's the glamour of show business and it's really not it's it's very boring it's quite lonely and so we both independently started exploring uh, more marketing stuff because obviously as an entertainer people when they hear you're an entertainer they say things like do you do okay with that because uh, they don't really see that as a job but it's actually just <laughs> a business like any other business so like like a coach or a consultant or somebody you know anybody who does work for people you have to be able to market yourself you have to be able to position yourself to get a good price you have to be able to you know um outsell your competition you have to be a sell in the first place and so we just had to learn marketing we had to learn to become business owners like anybody else and along the way 
that led to us filling in our spare time when we weren't on stage, which is the vast majority of it. Bearing in mind, most shows are only an hour, maybe two. Um, in Kennedy's case, sometimes 35 minutes. And so suddenly we had to find other things to do. So we both started online, online businesses. Uh, Kennedy was teaching other entertainers how to book gigs, charge higher prices, all the stuff we had to learn how to do. Uh, and I was teaching hypnosis. Anyone who wanted to learn to be a stage hypnotist, I was selling training courses and stuff about that. And so, yeah. That when you say it like this. that, we well, had basically decided to teach people how to compete with us. I've just realized this. <laughs> yeah, it's true. No, that's true. That's true. That is very true. Um, so along the way, that meant we had to learn email marketing. We had to build email lists, which meant we had to be able to do clever email marketing to those people. And both of us just became independently, without talking about it, hooked on email marketing. And one day we just sort of decided, we just swapped notes. And so I've been doing this email marketing thing. I've got a mailing list and I email them about things and they buy stuff and it's good. And uh, yeah, we just became unhealthily obsessed with email marketing. So that, that, that's really interesting because I rarely hear people talk about, like come from a non-marketing background and then get really excited about marketing or, or something specific in the marketing world. Uh, Cause I'm not a marketer by trade. I studied engineering and over time, I got that real buzz and got hooked on marketing. But a lot of people that I speak to like have this real resistance around marketing. So can you tell me a little bit about what specifically was it that got you interested in email marketing and why, why did that make you want to learn more? Okay. So basically, if you look at it, it seems to make sense that a person who is a hypnotist or a mind reader or a engineer all end up doing marketing actually enjoying it because if you think about it it's actually the same skill all it is is creative problem solving and processes that's what marketing is and a lot of us when we get michael gerber in his book of the e-myth which i think is one of the best books that we can all read if we've not read that please go read that it's amazing uh, the e-myth by michael gerber um the e part of it stands for entrepreneurial not email just so you know and if I think one of the things that we all forget is that marketing is just a bunch of processes and the real crux of marketing is actually lots of spreadsheets and lots of data and micro improvements to get a better result. I think the problem, marketing gets a bad name sometimes because they think of it as the, the pretty stuff. Oh, go, it's the make pretty department. Actually, it's the make money department. It's the put, put it in front of the people who are going to buy it and convince them that it's the, it's the best solution for them. And it's the brightest, shiniest way of doing this thing. So, um, I think that's, that's kind of the way, the way that we ended up doing it and find it so interesting because in the same way that Rob's only got one skill and that is he can make people go to sleep, tell them to do things or feel things or imagine things and they'll see them as absolutely real. I've only got one skill, which is understanding people and how to understand them, how to read them, how to influence them. That's all I can do, but we, ha but we have to come up with creative ways of displaying those things for 35 minutes, an hour, two hours. And it's the same thing as marketing. You've got a, a very small amount of skills and you have to, or you have one single product and you have to display that and communicate that in a whole bunch of different ways. And then you have to look at the things which are working, which are good. So for us, the things that make it look like you did read their mind or that got them hypnotized or that were the most entertaining, that got you the most social media shares, and you do more of that. Well, that's the same as marketing. And the same in engineering. Engineering is about incremental improvement on a process, almost always, and problem solving. And the thing is, all we're doing is transferring those skills. So we find it naturally quite easy because we're creative, we're passionate, 
for us, email marketing makes sense because we're about psychology as well. So we teach psychology-driven email marketing. So that's what, we, that's what we talk about in our programs, on our podcast, The Email Marketing Show. That's what we help people do with our software as well, which I'm sure we'll get onto at some point. So it makes, it sort of does make sense. And it, I realize every time we talk to somebody, they're like, but how does a mind reader and a hypnotist end up? It, it doesn't make sense initially, but when you sort of peel it back a little bit, I think it's, it's actually, I don't know what else we'll be doing. I really don't. That's amazing to hear. And I like your analogy about the uh, problem solving aspect of it. And I think, yeah, that's definitely what excites me about it, which is all about, well, for me anyway, it's about understanding how companies solve those problems and making sure that the right people who have those problems know about it so that they can get those problems solved in a roundabout way. Um, So how did you how did you go from knowing that this is something that you found really exciting to wanting to start a tech company? So to actually bring something to market and do it yourself? Well, it's all Rob's fault. <laughs> yeah. So we didn't <laughs> want to start a tech company. I mean, I was never the guy at I school still who wa- <laughs> I was never the guy at school who was like, you know, started selling sweets to my friends. I didn't have some sort of school hustle. I literally just wanted to entertain people. That's all I've ever wanted to do. And so Along the way, as I said, this led to these other businesses, and I, st- I stumbled across a problem. I wanted to be able to send an email to my email list and have people fill in a quick survey, and that was all I wanted to do. And so I signed up for a big survey platform that was available on the market, made a little survey, sent it out to my list, and as soon as people filled in the survey, I thought, oh, no, I can't now email my entire list about it again tomorrow to get the people who didn't fill it out the first time because I don't know who did, and I don't want to pester the people who did fill it in to get to the people who didn't. I don't know annoyed the people who were like my hyper responders and filled it in the first time around. So I called Kennedy. We've been mates forever. And I said, dude, do you know of a survey platform that will do this? And he said, no, but funnily enough, I want one for a different reason. So I thought, oh, it's interesting. So we dug around and we spent ages trying to find it. And at the time on the market, that this is like eight years ago, there just wasn't one. It didn't exist. So we thought, well, I'll tell you what, I'll write. I said, I'll write to the survey company and I'll get them to just put this in and then that'll be fine. So sent them an email and, you know, hope for the best and hadn't realized they were a $2 billion company and that, you know, me uh, for my $47 a month account or $97 a month account or whatever it was at the time, wasn't going to, they weren't going to put that in. That wasn't going to happen because um, big companies just can't be that flexible. So sort of went back and I thought, oh, well, now what do we do? So we were going, going around and trying to figure out what the options were. And I thought, surely someone else in the world somewhere must want this idea. So we thought, let's test this out for a little bit as a principle. Let's test this concept that we've come up with out. So we did everything manually for about four years. So people would fill in a survey and then every night of a start, to start with, it was us and eventually an assistant would download the CSV files. And we know how much everybody loves a CSV file from the survey platform. And we'd sort them into different, you know, kind of pots and then we'd upload those individual csv files into our email marketing platform tag them differently put them on different lists and that was that we did that every day for four years and the results that it had in terms of generating higher engagement from our email list generating higher sales generating sales faster than before was astronomical so we thought this is really good we did it for a few years and along the way we said to some of our friends like so we've got friends who do similar things in different markets and different Uh, audiences and stuff and so we said well can we try this with your email list so we got some friends in and we tried it with theirs and these are some really obscure things there's a guy who teaches children's party organizers how to do a better job of that and you know some really obscure markets so they all tested it 
astronomical results 100%. Like, no, nobody said that wasn't worth the effort. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because it's all about having more relevance. Like, because they're segmented right. into the things that they care about, they've told you about in the survey, and you only send them information, offers, opportunities, and solutions to those things... Of course, you're going to have more higher open rates. Of course, you're going to sell more stuff because you're not telling them, you're not spending any days at all telling about stuff that they don't care about or they can't buy. You're only providing solutions for the things they care about. So I said to Kennedy, I said, dude, like between us, we're spending quite a lot of money paying out for assistance to do all this work. And it's a lot of effort and it's not perfect. People fall through the cracks. It works, but it's not perfect. Um, and also you're a bit limited in the segmentation you can do. You know, if you've got three questions and each of those questions has three possible answers, it's hard to get a real segmentation of all of the different combinations of possibilities. So I said, why don't we just get a bit of software coded that will help us to do this? And that was how I sort of saw it. Well, I get a bit of software coded together and because we're not techie at all, at all. Um, it'll probably cost a few thousand dollars, but in the long term, that's going to definitely be worthwhile. So I went on to one of the freelance type websites where people all over the world you know, come together for projects. And I posted it up as a job. I put a budget of like, I think it was two or $3,000, which you then pay and they sort of hold that in escrow effectively. Um, and then that was it. So loads of people, you know, thousands of people probably, or hundreds of people anyway, applied for the job from all over the world. I said, Look at this, this is great. This is going to be excellent. And I very, very quickly realized as we went into that, and I also had a chat with a friend of mine, Andy, who is a, who is a software developer, um, and we very quickly realized that I'd completely got this wrong. What I was actually talking about wasn't two weeks of work for a couple of thousand dollars. It was, it was you know, six months of work just to get it basically to a point where it could, it could basically stand up and do its thing. So we cancelled the job and went back to the drawing board. And I said, I think the only way that we can get this bit of software that we desperately need now, I think the only way we can get this to happen, because we'd had some ideas for it as well that physically, they just couldn't be done manually. They needed the bit of software to do it. I said, uh, I think the only way that this can happen is if we make it as a product to sell rather than as a thing we need. And then we get the side benefit of being able to use it. Um, so that's 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 where we ended up here so not not intentionally at all i love it and i love the journey that you've been on and also you know having access to that software developer friend that can say wait a minute don't spend the money going down that hole um because i know a lot of people that have tried doing that and then kind of come away from it after the fact you know with all the stories and the lessons learned after that so did, so did you sell it as an MVP to start with then? Or like how, how did you go about actually creating that product and, and bringing that to market? Yeah, we created the ugly little brother, that we call, is what we call it, the MVP, the thing that's not quite, um, not quite nice enough. It's, we, I, a lot of the research we did was you've got to release it when you're still mortified and embarrassed about it. Yeah. So we did. And, uh, and we still are. No, no, we are still embarrassed about that, uh, that, pro- that part of the project. But it's, it's yeah we i mean basically what we did is we did we wanted to get people to use it and that was really important for us like when we it would be very easy to just go onto a social platform and go hey who wants a free account of this to give it a shot and give us some feedback and get some beta testers but actually that wasn't going to work because people when they get stuff for free tend not to value it they don't log in all that sort of good stuff i think it attracts the wrong people as well it attracts people who just want to have a look at something rather than people who are really who you're trying to put it in front of yeah so we did like a lifetime one-off couple i think it was 200 or 300 dollars or something it wasn't very much just to say hey you can have it now and you will have it forever as it evolves 
So some, and we did the usual sources of, of, of finance, which were the three Fs, the friends, family, and fools, um, as they're known. And so we, we sourced all those people and said, look, would you use this thing? And some of them said, go away. Uh, why are you in my garden? And, and some, of them sa- some of them said, yes, um, I, I like to go on board with it. So they did, and they've been around with us forever and giving us that feedback, and that was amazing. It gave us a little bit of cash, um, not enough really to pay anything at all. I mean, I don't even know if it covered a month's wage, a month's bills at the time, because one of the big mistakes we made is we had a too large a cost base to begin with. And we were like, well, we can afford it. But, you know, it was like... Well, we could it? afford it, actually, but it was just a stupid waste of money. Like, it, it, if, we, if we'd spent that money elsewhere, it would have been more effective, I mean, right? right? So were you funding that yourself at that point then? 100%. So we've got no VC. We've got no backing at all. It's 100% bootstrapped. And that's the interesting challenge of this is, you know, I think it's... I think, to quote somebody else who has a, a business in, in tech, anybody can build a massive business if you've got really deep pockets and you've got somebody else's money. The real challenge I think comes when you go, actually, we've got to build incrementally in a way that washes its own face. Yeah. And at what point did you start marketing the company? Because a lot of companies that I speak to, especially that are developing MVPs, that are funding it themselves, either through the business that they've already got or personally, wait until it's finished or wait until it's ready to start marketing it and to start selling it at what point did you start marketing it and at what point did you start like like putting some serious effort into that marketing side of things so we started actually building the software in september in a september the september of that year and then we brought in our we brought in the first marketing effort that we did and it was a total it went totally in the wrong direction i'll explain that in a second um we hired grace who's with us now she's our sort of content uh content marketing person and we brought her in because we wanted to have a blog and have social media and have all that stuff. And that was how we were going to sell the software. And then we went, I mean, we did it totally wrong. It was mine and Kennedy's vision. And we just did it. We just totally missed the mark. Did it so, so wrong. Um, we were putting out the wrong content about the wrong thing. Like the, the content we were putting out was good, but it was a mile. It, like customers were, it would have been a hundred miles down the road. Like there's, there's no way that we were going to get that content to generate sales of this product. Uh, in a short space of time so we spent a few months doing that but actually at the time it felt okay but actually looking back that we we could have done that more efficiently Uh, and then the first real bit of marketing we did was when the mvp was ready to go so that was after another three months Um, and we got some like affiliate partners who would promote it to their audiences in exchange for a commission and we did this sort of beta launch of this ugly little brother um and it was okay i mean i think again we probably covered a couple of months bills tops maybe maybe one month's bills maybe two um and that was the first bit of sort of marketing attempt that we did whilst we were also still trying to find our feet with content marketing which is a thing that neither of us had ever really done um before. so what what made you go down the route of content marketing like what and to, and to the point Kennedy's where you hired fault. somebody to do that content marketing for you, what was that point? That was Kennedy's fault. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. why, why did you choose content marketing over other means of marketing? Right. So we basically have a two-channel approach. One of them is about immediate revenue now, which means every time... You, so Rob runs the ads type, anything that's instant revenue like stuff. direct is, response. Direct response stuff is Rob. So... That is ads, that is JVs and affiliates, all that sort of stuff, which is like, turn the tap on, spend some money or give some of the money away, create an immediate return. That's Rob. 
And my bit is the sort of longer term thing about relationships and content and stuff. And the reason that we're having both of those things, and the reason we think they're both important is right now, when we run a Facebook ad and we spend whoever knows, who knows how many thousands a month on that, um, every time we want to generate a lead from that, we have to spend money and we have to use Facebook's audience. What we want to get to is a place in the future where at the same time as having that, we have our own audience that we've built that we can generate revenue from. So we're not just generating, we're not just relying on other people's audiences, but we're building our own for long-term gain as well. So that obviously brings a lot of brand reputation, a lot more inbound rather than a little bit more outbound in the sort of ad sense. So that's the sort of, that's the thinking behind it. Because that's well, the dream, reason, isn't actually. it? To get people to come to you rather than you have to go out to them. Exactly, because the sales less resistance and all that sort of good stuff. Um, the other reason to do it, and I think this was a really, and the reason we've got a podcast really over anything else, because we started off with a blog because that's what Grace, our content coordinator is, is great actually good at writing. But the reason we changed to having a blog which just supports a podcast is because you have to use the skills you've already got. And Rob and I are not writers. Like we write emails every day. We're quite, we're okay at doing that. But we're really good at presenting because we spend nearly 18 years at this point presenting. So why don't we use our natural born, no, crafted talent to actually generate our business? Because end of the day, people who come into having a podcast or having a YouTube channel or doing any of those things who are not from an entertainment background, we already have an edge advantage on that um, because we've been doing that for years already and we're just repurposing those skills and we'll enjoy it more. When we first started, before we hired Grace, Rob and I used to take it in turns every week to write the blog post. And it was lit. You could tell whose week it was because that person was grumpy. Because neither of us like it, you know. So we now just do stuff like we we enjoy and that works on our existing skill set. So I'm good at relationships and friendships and building up a network. So I do all of that stuff. Rob's really good at tweaking numbers and looking at the stats on things and ads and that whole bit. So he does that bit. We're both good at presenting. So we do the podcast together. So it's just about really playing to each other's strengths. Obviously, as we build the team, because we're a micro team of only five right now. Uh, no, four. One, two, three, five. Five. Five, yeah. Um, we're a micro team of five at the minute. Um, we obviously are still doing some jobs, which we hear doing. Like, you know, I hate doing, like, all the finance stuff. Like, the sooner we can get a finance director, the better. But uh, we just, we're not, we're not in that place just yet. So it's interesting that you were talking about going to what you love doing, not necessarily following what other people are saying that you need to do. Because uh, this is something that I'm a big advocate for, especially with people that are not natural marketers or not trained marketers. Um, and I keep talking that, you know, you don't have to be a trained marketer to be good at marketing. And um it really is about finding that space that you are really good at. So if you like speaking, you could do audio, audio, audio. It's a new format. That's like I'd say audio two point It's coming out next year. It's going to be, it's going to be it's massive. A new, it's a new thing. Um, you could you know speak into your, your phone and then get those um, sort of spoken blogs transcribed if that's what you want to do, or if you feel more natural speaking into a podcast, you could do that. Do video. Do you know sort of all sorts of different things? Because uh, I I used to hate writing. I used to absolutely hate it. But I think over the years, I've started to really enjoy doing it. Um, speaking was definitely not something I enjoyed. 
I was that that person that always used to hide behind the person that was more technically competent than me or the person with the PhD that was like, yeah, they know more about this subject so they can go up and speak about it. And then as soon as it was my business, I was like, oh, I've got nobody to hide behind now. What do I do? (laughs) But it's amazing the difference that it does make when you are that person that puts yourself out there and and does something and, and talks about it. Uh, do you have any tips for somebody that wants to get into um, speaking out on stage or doing a podcast or basically putting themselves out there from an entertainment? You know, like basically, if you're talking to somebody that hasn't got an entertainment background or doesn't necessarily have the confidence to get up there doing it straight away, what tips would you give based on your experience? One of the things that I would say is, is confidence comes from basically a few things. The first one is knowing your stuff. So the knowledge elements, like, do you know what you're going to talk about? Do you know your stuff? If you do checkbox, great. Everything's good. The second thing is going to be to do with how many reps, how many times you've done it. And if you've, if you look back at all the times you've been on stage and that's been a lot of times or all the times you've done a podcast, that's a lot of times, all the times you've done whatever, anything you're confident in, it's usually because you know about that area of expertise and you've got a, a record in your mind, a recollection of having been successful at it a lot. And you, so the only way to get successful at something is to do it more often. So that's the reason I got into marketing, really, I suppose, is, well, in fact, definitely, because the only way I could become a really great entertainer was to be able to entertain more often so I could become what we call marginally less crap. So, because our job, our, our our business vision is not about becoming the best or becoming better, but actually, because that's very aspirational and stuff, but that can be quite demotivational as well. But like, because you're comparing yourself to other people about what is good, actually, if you look inward instead, we're we're a big fan of looking inward. So we look at the skills we already have and use them more. So we look back at things we're doing, and are we less crap at that yet today than we were yesterday? That's really important because it's about our improvement. I have this saying, I know Rob talked about this in an interview we're doing yesterday, which is, um, I have the saying, which is, you have to look back at the stuff you did in the past and be really embarrassed about it. Otherwise, you haven't improved and you haven't progressed. So that's really, really important. You have to be marginally less crap than you were. And the other thing to do is, should you become a better speaker? Not if you don't want to be. Like, what are you really good at? If you're an amazing writer, do loads of that because we're terrible at writing. We're not terrible. We're not great at writing. That's not our superpower. So you can be amazing at that thing. Our whole thing, in fact, I've got it. It's just out of shot here, but on this flip chart behind me is do more of what's working or do more of what's, what you're good at. We all become obsessed with these dips, these, these little dips, and we have to bring the dip up. Why bring the dip up? Why don't we make the peaks higher? You know, so why don't we do more of what we're really, really good at? So take what you're doing, do more of that really good stuff. I mean, that's sort of a motivational thing. It's not really our style, but that's kind of how we're living it right now. That's a great piece of advice. And I love that. Like, don't try and do something that you have no interest in doing just because other people are telling you that you should be doing. Because there's lots and lots of different ways that you can market your business. You just got to find the right way for you. So that brings me on to the next thing, because we've not really talked about your product's superpower, which in one way was kind of how we we got talking in the first place. Um, And that's the subject of segmentation. So if you're listening to this and you're just thinking, um, I'm yawning now, so I'm just going to disconnect, don't, (laughs) because there's there's a lot of things in this. And if I'd have met Robin Kennedy six years ago, 
and they had their software platform and it was all as it is now that would have completely transformed the way that I did marketing. Because like I said, that I was not a trained marketer and I had had to pretty much learn on the job and jump in at the deep end. But I worked for a company that was serving lots of different industries within one sort of overall industry. And we had a mailing list, but it was so it was so diverse. So every time we sent out a mailing, uh, an email, it was, so, it was just too generic that we just didn't get that engagement from people and we didn't get the kind of response that we wanted. So everything just took too long. So I completely disengaged with it because I was like, right, email marketing is not the way to go because we were getting results from everywhere else. And I did constantly have this niggling feeling that email marketing was such a, such a great tool, but it was just because I didn't know how to segment my audience and I didn't know how to deliver more personalized messages to people. So now I've spent the last sort of three or four years looking into segmentation and different ways of asking your audience what matters the most to them, who they are. So I can, I can then be more personalized. Um, because especially, I think we were talking about this to start with, if you send one message to a large group of people, they're just going to ignore you or they're just going to think that you are like every other person out there. Whereas if you can then divide your group into lots of different people. So for example, like marketing for me, one of my biggest frustrations is that marketing is talked about as this, this singular thing. Yet there are so many different elements in marketing. And also you need to market differently to a B2B audience than you do for a B2C audience. And that's not to say you can't learn from both of them, but it is different. So I don't want to send the same marketing message to a B2C audience when I'm actually talking to a B2B audience. So let's talk about segmentation for a moment. What has made the biggest difference to you in your businesses as entertainers by segmenting your audience? That's a really good question. And it's one we've never been asked before. How good. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's um, one of the things I definitely segment on. Well, there's a few things. So the first one is to do with my contact within the company, because depending on this, on the structure of a company, the hardest thing about selling as an entertainer is there is not a person within all companies who buys that product. So if you sell accountancy software, you pretty much know who to, who to target within the organization. If you sell a piece of marketing software, you know who to, et cetera, et cetera. The entertainment could be booked by. Some companies do have a head of events, some of them. Some of them, it's the personal assistant to the chief executive. Some of them, it's the chief executive. Some of them, it's, you know, Carol from accounts and, and John from IT, and they create this little mini committee, committee, and they create the events. So you, so you, you don't really know who it's going to be. And the way you have to speak to each of those people is different. So, for example... Um, I remember I was about to walk on stage. I was about to do an event for the RAC, their annual dinner, big, big, high budget, really high budget event. And, um, and I'm about to walk on and the personal assistant to the chief executive, uh, she, her name was um, Christine. And she said, oh, by the way, I hope it goes well. And I said, oh, thanks very much. She booked me. I said, oh, I'm sure it'll be great. She went, just because my job relies on this. And I'm about to walk on, ladies and gentlemen, Kennedy. And I'm like, ah, Christine's job. You know, um, that, that's the pressure you're under. You have to realize for us as entertainers, people's reputation and the in- reputation of an entire event is rely, on, rely on it. So once you realize that, if you're an employee, you have to be giving them all the right information when you're selling to them that says, I'm going to make you look good. This is how, how 
how safe your job is. This basically is what you've got to imply in all the, in all the materials. Whereas if you're talking to a person who um, is the chief executive, this is about how much it's going to engage their staff and all the benefits that a chief exec wants. It also depends on what type of event it is that they're, that they're looking for. So again, it's literally about looking at what their challenge is, what their objections are. That's a really big thing. What is their objection? Because most of the time, people want to buy stuff. That just When they come to your website or they do whatever, they're looking for reasons not to. And if you can overcome those objections really, really quickly by understanding what they are and segmenting them on your email list and on your website and through your materials, you can overcome those objections in a really positive way. So that's, I mean, for me, that's the major use of, uh, of it for the, in the entertainment business. I think generally in marketing for all of us, especially if we've got a software business, is understanding people's use case. So they've joined your list to find out generally about your tool or about your solution, but the way they're going to use it, depending on their vertical, their market sector, their, whether they're B2B, B2C, or whatever, how they're going to implement it. I mean, Response Suite's a perfect example. People come in, and they might be using Response Suite to get feedback after an event or after the person has purchased a product. But you could also then ask another question in that survey, which says, um, which of these other products that we sell would you be interested in? That's just one use of Response Suite so that you can use it as a cross-sell and upsell tool. Whereas another might be to use it as a recruitment tool. You might be using it as onboarding for new customers. You might be using it for onboarding for new subscribers. So a suit, and there's about eight or nine that we segment people by. And we talk to people about those things specifically because if you come into our world, Charlie, right, and you're like, right, what I really want to do is I want to run a survey every time someone joins my list, which is one of the biggest uses of response right? So when someone joins your list, the first thing you do, rather than try and sell them something, is, hey, which of these five problems is your biggest challenge right now? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you differently about how that's going to help you quickly get people to buying one of your products that's most relevant to you than I am someone who's going to be using this for re-engaging dead subscribers or any of the other applications for it. So it's really about saying, what's your biggest problem? I'm only going to talk to you about that thing and take you to that sale and giving you a solution faster, which is what we all want, right? It's not about being aggressive. We only join people's mailing list or we only in someone's world or on someone's website because we've got a problem or we've got a question we want answering. And if you join their list and it takes them eight months to get round to the bit of the problem you're concerned about, that's taken you eight months to turn that prospect into a lead, into a sale. That's a waste of everyone's time. They've disengaged. You've lost money. That's crap. No one's winning. Whereas if you ask them a question and you say, what is your biggest problem? And you just take them straight to the solution. And that might be a paid solution. It might be a bit of advice, whatever it might be. Then everybody wins. The subscriber wins and you win as a business. That's the whole principle. you know. And Kennedy, if it makes you feel any better, I've heard that Christine loves being homeless. So I think you, you know, <laughs> I don't think you did any problems there by getting her fired. So I think it's fine. Ah, she's fine. She's really <laughs> love, love it <laughs> how to stop people getting fired there's a whole blog post and <laughs> podcast series in its own yeah, right you'll be crap yeah. <laughs> um brilliant so that's pretty much answered a lot of my questions in stop that it. i just <laughs> a little i got excited <laughs> i was like going for it 
I love it especially on the onboarding thing you know there's such a big opportunity well there's such a big missed opportunity that a lot of companies just go hey welcome to my world you know here's your product here's what you bought without necessarily understanding what situation that they're in at the point of buying because then that gives you so much more insight as to how you can help them especially from a customer service point of view like I remember looking at customer service and just banging my head against a brick wall going we are getting the same questions come up over and over again and this is such a waste of you know time from our sort of engineering team because they're on the phone answering these questions there is another way of doing it and um yeah exactly what you were saying you've got to understand the problems that people are facing so that you can better solve them for them cool so with response suite what's next because you you said that you've funded it all yourself you're a micro team you're looking eventually at getting a finance director what's what's the future for response suite well if anyone wants to give us if anyone wants to loan us some money that would be lovely uh you know when you say loan we're using loan in the the looser sense and that you're never seeing it again I'm kidding. I think what was interesting is we were, and I'll let Rob explain how we did this, this, because Rob really headed this up, is we were in that tricky situation of we were about to run out of money. <gasps> Big cliffhanger. Yeah, we reached a point where we sort of looked at, so neither of us are particularly financially smart. Kennedy's better at it than me, but like we're not very good at cash flow forecasts and like we're not very good at understanding because our businesses before Response Suite are so simple. Like, also, accounts- you can't make someone laugh with a double empty bookkeeping. <laughs> <laughs> you just did it. Well done. Um, so this is the first time in history. Um, our businesses before Response Week were so simple that understanding the finances was a doddle. So for the first time, we now suddenly have to under- look at things like payroll and taxes are affected by that and all the rest of it. And so we got to a point where literally, as Kennedy said, we were about to run out of money. And we the, the problem with the software business, and anyone who's got one will know that typically if you spend money on paid advertising, you will have to spend three, four, five, six, maybe 10 months of somebody's subscription to acquire them as a customer. Now, if your average customer um, subscription time is you know, 18, 24, 36 months, that's fine, as long as you can cash flow it. And like, Kennedy kind of implied we couldn't cash flow that for any longer. And so we reached a point where we thought we need a different way of creating revenue. And so we sort of threw the idea around a bit and eventually came up with how would it look if we could create something that we can sell at a profit now and and have the side benefit of creating customers for response suite. So what we actually did, we nearly, very nearly went off and just found a completely different niche market and made a product. So for example, it wasn't this, but we could have said, right, let's go and create a course about how to confidently present on stage and then we'll create and sell that. And we stopped and thought, that's so that's still so far away from creating response suite customers. You know, we might as well make a course about how to make the perfect blancmange. You know, it, it's going to make money in its own right. I like it. Like it's it going to make money in its own right, but it's not going to serve the business growth. So we stopped and thought, well, and we just went, we, we kicked ourselves and said, who is the perfect customer for response suite? And we said, it's got to be people who do email marketing. I mean, we've got some customers who don't sell via email, but they're using it in very different ways and they're sort of obscure use cases. In it's the not the core things, use case. People who do email marketing. So we said, okay, great. And we sort of mapped out our ideal customers that have a list of this and, you know, and, and they're, they're using it for this purpose and that's going to be great and we said how do we how do we build a list of people who do email marketing and we said let's do what we do let's do what we know how to do which is create courses and sell them about email marketing and suddenly overnight pretty much everything 
flick together, we realized actually if we create and sell courses about email marketing, we can sell those today, we can make profit on them today, and then those people will, will, will be able to segment them. The people who are just getting started and that they're building their list, they're going to have to use response suite like this. The people who've got a list of a million people, they're going to need to use response suite like this and we can sell them, sell it to them in different ways. And so now we're able to generate customers of our courses and stuff at a profit. And then those people get filtered across and sold into response suite in the way that it means the most to them. As opposed to at the minute, we just drive people to response suite. And if they don't join, they're sort of just gone into the ether. And we'll never see them again unless they happen to come back. So this is just working much more efficiently. The big challenge with response suite is most people don't know they have this problem. Or, they are, or if they do know they have the problem of segmentation, they don't think of it as a segmentation problem. They think of it as my email marketing is not working, my copy is wrong, my lists are trash or whatever. But So no one then goes, I know what I need. I need a survey solution that plugs into my email marketing. No one has ever, ever thought that. So we realize what we have to do is we have to educate people, which is why we sell through education. So a lot of our sales come through case, not case studies, but I suppose they are case studies. We don't really call them that, but they're sort of use cases of like teaching or here's a really cool way of doing it and webinars. So a lot of our customers come through, they come through our programs, their courses, those courses there on, on email marketing. And then we enroll them on, or they get offered to come on a webinar, which actually we use an automated webinar. Shocking. Uh, and it works really, really, really well. Brilliant. I love webinars, especially automated webinars. And I think there's a big misconception that you have to just sell, sell, sell in a webinar. And there are lots of salesy webinars, you know, where you, they just suck the living daylights out of you when you're watching. That's what ours does. Like yeah. selling to you right from the start. You're like, Guilty ah, as charged. Yeah. <laughs> no, but ours is that. Ours is quite heavy. It's a lot heavier than I would like it. Um, but it, it I, I can't argue with the numbers. You know, I don't like it. You know, do I like it? No. I, do either of us like it? No, we'd rather just be like, hey, this is really cool. Oh, and if you want to buy it, that'd be nice. But I can't pay the bills on on just being a nice chap. You know, we can be nice, but also we, it is it is it is a sales webinar. But like a whole hour of sales? Um, it, so it, we, it's, it's, an, it's an hour and a bit leading up to a sale. And the sales bit at the end is about 20 minutes. But the... I mean, you could 100% take everything we teach on, almost everything we teach on the webinar and, and go and do it yourself manually like we did. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what it all doesn't, like. Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense to do it without response suite because it's just much easier. So I think that's slightly different though because I think it's a big resistance for a lot of people is that they don't want to do webinars because they don't want to be that salesperson. But I think for me, you can sell through delivering value but then also presenting your offer in a way that makes it irresistible at the end you've positioned that problem you've told them how they can fix it if they want to go off and do it on their own but then also you're just saying right well why would you want to go and do it on your own because it takes a lot of time you're going to make a lot of mistakes it's going to cost you money and all of these other things whereas here's a solution for you which will save you time save you money and get it get the job done and truthfully, we've looked at ours and we, we actually think we probably teach too much on this. And there is a lot of research that other people have done, not us, but we've heard from others that says the more you teach, the less sales you make, which is really strange. Or the more we are very teachy in that it's very practical, our, our webinar. Um, whereas a lot of people sort of use it as ways of sort of evoking more pain rather than, oh, here's a solution to this problem you didn't realize you had. Whereas ours is not quite as... Um, naughty as that. <laughs> Love it. Brilliant. Well, I think we're coming up to time because I'm aware that you have another meeting to go to. So what's 
lasting like top tip lessons learned or a strong piece of advice that you can give our listeners um that would help them make stop making one of the mistakes that you've made along the journey so essentially what tip would you give to people that would set them up for success based on your own experience <laughs> one of the things one of the mistakes we definitely made was because because kennedy and i were funding the business we uh we're at a point where we could have we could have just kept putting more money in so when we say we were going to run out of money we mean this business was going to run out of money and our businesses would have to because obviously we're still performing and doing all that stuff we'll never stop doing that. that's who we are we'd have to just get more of our money and put it back into the company and actually that when you have that when you have that it's not a safety net exactly but when you have that cushion underneath you like a get out of jail free of, card isn't it yeah some sort of security there were several times along the journey where we said uh right yes we're going to run out great let's pop some more in okay how much yep yeah, you as well okay good we'll do that transfer some money in good off to, like, that's just for another few months and that was a it was just a stupid idea because if we had if we'd if we'd said six months earlier for example let's stop putting our own money in we would have probably come up with the same idea we've come up with six months earlier. So I think sometimes there is something to be said for having a gun against your head. And, you know, how many stories have you heard about somebody who's been made redundant or the company they work for has closed down and suddenly they're out at a loose end? And it's, it's that that's made them go off and become the most successful they've ever been. But actually, they could have done that if they'd left, but they never have had the push to do it. So I think, if, I think don't sit because you've got a, a safety blanket don't sit and go, have you seen that safety blanket? That's 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 a safety net. That's totally fine. That that's our saving grace. Push yourself to say, okay, but 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 could we do better than that? And I wish we'd done it earlier. I really do. I, I don't regret many things in life. I wish we'd done it earlier. Because it's made us a better company. It's made us a much better company and um much more focused. My bit of advice would be don't do anything because that's the way it should be done. So we, neither of us have ever had a job. We've never pulled pints at bars, been a barista and made coffee. We've never been employed. I've never had a pay slip in my life. And neither has Rob. And so one of the things we know our staff love about working with us is we don't have any, because that's the way it's done things at all. And we've, we've still fallen in the trap of let's get an expensive office, which we got rid of. Um, let's have this process. Let's do this because that's the done thing. No, literally ask yourself, what's my goal, right? What are the only things I need to do to get to that goal? Just do those things. Never mind having to do all the things that you're supposed to do. Like right now, everyone's got a podcast. We've got a podcast. You've got a podcast. Everyone listen to podcasts. Great. But if you're not confident speaking, you don't need a podcast. You really don't need a podcast. You absolutely do not need a podcast. Um, because, because it's currently the trend and it's the thing that everyone seems to be doing. Well, guess what? We are a, ma- are a massive believer in zigging when people zag. Absolutely. So we, we, when, when most people are doing one thing, we are like, right, what's the opposite of that? What can we be doing that is so different? Uh, so when we started podcasting, it was all, everyone was doing blogs. Everyone was blog, blog, blogging, SEOing, all that sort of good stuff that we don't understand. We're like, okay, this podcasting is on the rise. Shall we do a podcast? And we started our first podcast then. I think definitely looking at what the trend is, going against it and doing more of what you're really good at and get do better at the peaks and forget about the troughs. That is great advice. So you told us a lot about Responsibly and about your podcast. If somebody wants to check out Responsibly or your podcast or both, how do they do that? So the podcast every week, every Wednesday usually, and plus some bonus episodes, we talk about email marketing. It's Rob and I, and every other week we are joined by a guest. 
and uh, it has the most annoying slash catchy jingle you've ever heard in your life. It's at theemailmarketingshow.com. You can search the email marketing show on pretty much any player. If you want to check out Response Suite, just head over to responsesuite.com and see all the details of what it does and what it doesn't do. And you can get a trial at the moment, can't you? I believe. There's a trial right now, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Trial for $1. There we go. Love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm just like, I could talk to you for ages about, uh, and there were a few questions that came up that I'm like, oh, I want to know more about that. Um, But I am aware that you've got to go. And also, I'm pretty sure that this is a good length for a podcast anyway. (laughs) So thank you so much for being part of this. And good luck with everything. I look forward to seeing seeing your journey and seeing you grow. Thanks, Charlie. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening. Ciao. Bye. When marketing isn't your primary focus or area of expertise, it can quickly become very overwhelming, frustrating, and end up at the top of your I'm avoiding this list. If you'd like to make your life easier and get results from your marketing, then I invite you to come and join us in the Curious Marketing Club, a virtual community full of support, guidance, and know-how. For details about the club and for the show notes from this episode, please visit my website, charliewyman.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn from other people who are being curious and doing amazing things, then please subscribe and keep listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.